0: Are you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you here. I'll be on vacation next week. So this is one of my last duties uh, before I take off. So uh, we're going to talk about diabetes in this week's episode. I spoke with Brad Paddock. He's the president and CEO of Secure. They have an interesting uh, delivery technology that uh, Brad will get into. He's a, a med tech vet. He's worked at big companies, small companies, Kyphon early on. So uh, he is uh, he's seen it. From every angle, so uh, very insightful conversation with uh, Brad Paddock. And then later on, I'm going to run an interview we uh, we used on our Medtronic Talks podcast uh, a few weeks ago. I spoke with Sean Salman, the executive vice president and president of the Diabetes Operating Unit at Medtronic. Clearly, there's a lot going on at Medtronic in the diabetes space. They have interesting deals with Blackstone. They have a lot of very cool technologies happening. Uh, It's been identified as an area where they'd like to see more growth, and we'll talk with Sean about that. So I'm sure you will uh, find some insights in that talk as well. We will have a podcast for you next week, so remember to subscribe to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast so you do not miss an episode and now it's time to bring in my podcast partner chris newmarker executive editor of life sciences at mass device chris newmarker how are you sir
1: good to be here tom happy friday tgif
0: tgif chris as you know i'm, I'm headed on a vacation so oh, uh let's just great. say uh, a funny anecdote here
1: uh, joke, 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 joke. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Now let's get into <laughs> the top five
0: New <laughs> 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 Wow well, right.
1: yeah. There we go. Like, yeah. get on. Get it, hope we have a good vacation, man.
0: Oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, no, we're just doing a little uh staying at home, just doing some nice. day trips. Yeah, staycation. Uh, it's, it's always the romance of going somewhere was, was certainly there, and I kind of wish we had made plans. But then, as as Delta came back or or arose, and everything else kind of came to be, I'm kind of happy. We're just keeping it simple, stupid. Not yeah. that you're stupid. That's an expression. You've heard
1: of yeah. that. Book, right? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, we're yeah. good. We're cool. We're cool, we're, man. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> Workplace issue. Call HR. Tom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> called me stupid. Tom <laughs> called me stupid. <laughs> <laughs> On a <That's> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> man, if that is the worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I know we both oh, have, yeah. have had interesting weeks dealing with uh, interesting people. So uh, yes, indeed it's good to speak to a friendly face yeah but you you do have a a killer uh new markers newsmakers this week so yeah uh, wow let's let's roll into that a lot of big names so much for a
1: sleepy summertime that's for sure all right Um, and and right now tom we're in the thick of earring season again so it's all rolling out you know i you know okay i'll throw this out i mean you know when we don't you know, it's amazing, actually, like what uh, mass device readers read the most this week was not related to earnings. Um, But um, I mean, overall, uh, Q2 wasn't was pretty good. Q2. I mean, I'm seeing for the most part, I'm seeing, you know, medical device companies are beating expectations, at least in the second quarter. Um, It looks like the uh, elective procedures really roared back i mean yeah there's delta but i don't know at least for the device companies here here's to hoping for them i guess that uh that health providers have kind of like figured out things enough now about how to like operate amid this pandemic that you know we're not i it, it seemed the sense i got from a lot of the earnings calls is that the executives don't are saying they don't see us you know going back to like yeah the the end of elective procedures like we saw last year i mean we're just gonna have to live with this darn stupid virus It's going to be interesting how it plays out. I know Scott Gottlieb put forth
0: the theory that we're kind of mostly through this, that there are a lot more cases than are being reported and we're kind of uh, maybe a few weeks away from coming out on the other side. So I think people sort of, I hope so. But I think we kind of have a, a better understanding of how things will flow but i say that and i realize that we we don't know what we don't know i mean there's things can go in any direction uh but uh good i'm glad to hear that uh that if we knew the
1: future we could like bet on sporting events and win and you know like we'd be you know just hanging out our lake houses now or something you know but you know (laughs) we we don't know the future (laughs) okay biff (laughs) <laughs> that's right <laughs> hey mcfly
2: <laughs> all right well
0: let's find out what mass device readers yes. were uh were reading about so what's number five on the new markers newsmakers list
1: you know number five on the list this was very surprising for me this was like bd acquiring resorbable polymer maker Tefa, and uh you know this actually got a, a decent amount of attention a mass device um you know i think i think this uh, materials acquisition like uh you know, you know, matters for people in the space. I mean, uh, TEFA has resorbable polymer technology, Um, you know, BD, uh, you know, says this polymer technology is going to accelerate the growth of their, you know, of their their business around surgical mesh and and soft tissue repair, you know, the reconstruction, regeneration. Um, So, so yeah, like BD, uh, like acquiring like kind of like a resorbable polymer tech that, uh, you know, could uh, could potentially give them an edge here. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Cool orthopedic stuff. We'll
0: have to learn more about that in a, in a future podcast. All right. What is number four on the new Marcus Newsmakers list? Now, number four
1: on the list, we're moving all the way from materials <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to like software AI, you know, like, you know, in, in this case, we've got uh, Medtronic, you know, announcing that the FDA cleared uh, two of their uh, Accurhythm AI algorithms. And these are, you know, artificial intelligence that can run with their uh, Link2 and Serval, uh, cardiac monitor and uh they're uh you know th- they're they're thinking this ai is gonna you know the idea is this ai is gonna improve the information that uh doctors are you know receiving from uh you know from these uh you know insertable cardiac monitors hopefully uh you know improve uh diagnosis and treatments so, so i'm getting I think should, ai to to bear i think
0: we should take a, a moment to appreciate that uh our medtech industry the ones we've covered for the industry we've covered for so long now it does include these these great these great technologies resorbable polymer technologies ai it's all falling under our medtech umbrella so this yeah industry is evolving and becoming even more fascinating to we're
1: exciting we're doing innovative things and man it's it's a far cry like uh years ago i did an interview with uh, mir imran who um would be sure. really cool to get him on soon but uh you know a mir one of mir's great claim to fame was he uh he was on the team that made the first infl- like implantable uh cardiac defibrillator and he was telling me back then um it was like late 70s early 80s fda uh said it, it couldn't have any software in it wow no, no software had to be uh, totally analog. We
0: have a, a little tiny squirrel keeping it going or, or what?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Something like that <laughs> a little beetle. They, they found these beetles that could go inside of the ICD. That, wow. Which was the ICD was the size of a king pack of cigarettes too. Like he told me, um, you know, um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, we've gone all the way from like, we don't want software and an implantable device to like, here we are in 2021. Like, That's
0: right. Hand that and over a few days later,
1: they're like, oh, we're going to put, AI, into put AI, it. AI in it. Yes. Yeah, why not? It'll think on its own. It's great.
0: Yeah. Well, Brad Paddock, welcome to the podcast.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me
0: my pleasure it's great to hear uh to secure's story uh you've got a lot going on uh but first i wanted to find out a bit about your background you've uh, had a wide uh and far-ranging experience in medtech with kyphon and JJ and and others what though drove you into the sector uh, first of all and then maybe we could walk through some of those career stops
3: yeah sure uh you know, it was one of those uh, dumb luck kind of things. I had a friend whose uh, father was in engineering at uh, J&J, at, at the Surgery, kind of endosurgery, actually, in, in Cincinnati. And uh, interviewed and found my way into selling uh, laparoscopic instruments in the operating room and really just absolutely fell in love with the industry.
0: So you were in the OR, you were there in the front lines?
3: I was, yeah, for wow. four years. Loved, loved every minute of it.
0: It's hard not to find that exciting, I imagine. Yeah. So, what was it that uh, sort of put you on the uh, on the executive track? What 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 started at J and J, and and walk us through your career just a little bit?
3: Yeah, sure. So, like I said, I started in the OR selling and uh, absolutely loved it. Loved J and J. But as you know, J and J is a big company. It was still a big company back then, and uh, and so I again through a friend stumbled upon a startup uh, in the spine space called Kyphon. Mm-hmm. And it had about 15 employees when I joined. Uh, wow! I started selling. I was actually the first sales rep with the company and um, loved it. Had an eight and a half year run there. Uh, spent the last five years uh, running the US, the U.S. selling organization. Uh, built it out to uh, over 400 individuals and, uh, and nearly a half a billion in revenue. So it was, it was quite a wild ride.
0: Yeah, Kaifan is one of those uh, meteoric stories in, in medtech. Uh, what was that process like starting with, uh, well, with you as a single salesperson and then sort of building out that team? And uh, is that a sort of singular experience or was there a formula there that you learned that you could apply to other areas?
3: You know, you know I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And I think, uh, you know, in an early stage startup, it's that entrepreneurial sort of spirit that, that carries you through and the day-to-day problem solving and sort of figuring out the commercial model you know, and what, what does success look like? And I think that, um, well, every startup MedTech's model is slightly differently. I think it's the learnings, you know, when you're in the trenches, you you pick up the signals and you learn how to adapt and navigate. And so, uh, so yeah, I think that experience has carried with me uh, throughout my entire career.
0: And uh, what ultimately, uh, well, Kaifon would go, of course, to be on to be acquired by by Medtronic uh, what was that, uh, what was that experience like?
3: You know, it was incredible. Um, obviously we built a company up to a substantial size and, uh, at the time, you know, Medtronic acquired us for, uh, for a nice premium. Uh, I stayed with Medtronic about six months, mm-hmm. um, it, a great company. Uh, but obviously I sort of found myself back into a big company environment, um, and, and wanted to get back into something uh, a little more growth oriented, um, and so I, I sort of decided to leave and 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 do something different.
0: Fantastic! And then from from Medtronic, you, you went to to Bosch and LAM, uh, which is a uh, certainly part of medical devices, but vision is kind of its own little universe. Yeah. Uh, what, what what did you learn from there?
3: You know, I I first of all I love ophthalmology. Just a great space, wonderful customers. Um, Warburg Pincus had been a primary investor in Kyfon and they mm-hmm. were the, the lead investor uh, taking BNL private. Uh, but it was a great opportunity to learn a new a new segment of the business. Um, I took on greater responsibility as a global head of sales and marketing. And so, you know, really cut my teeth more as a marketer there than I did at Kyfon and um, helped them turn around their surgical ophthalmology business. And then, of course, uh, had a nice exit to, uh, to Valiant Pharmaceuticals.
0: That's right. That's right. That was quite a, quite an interesting deal. So let's uh, fast forward a bit now. To uh, I know you'd gone over to Stryker after that. You were the president of uh, the global spine division for for Stryker, uh, and now you're here at uh, at Secure. What was uh, how did this opportunity become uh, become known to you? And what did you find uh, interesting about the company?
3: So uh, first of all, I loved my time at Stryker. Uh, just an amazing company, amazing culture, uh, terrific leadership by Kevin Lobo and mm-hmm. any other. You know really talented senior executives um but it, and it was it was a big business it, it uh, we grew it to nearly a billion dollars in revenue so it was a big business but while i was there i had this inkling to uh get back to my days at Kaifon and uh my sort of entrepreneurial startup uh time and so i spent you know i i, I kind of had feelers out for a number of years and nothing had really come across my desk that, that looked exciting until i Until I came upon upon Secure, and in many ways it it reflected many of the same uh, characteristics of Kyphon, and that you had a really a completely revolutionary technology, uh, an enormous market opportunity. I mean, literally one of the largest market opportunities in in med device. Uh, And then thirdly, uh, just great a great board, great investors behind the company, believing in the future of the company, and so that was sort of the trifecta for me. And, uh, and I made the jump.
0: Interesting. And one of the powers of a podcast is my realization that I've been saying the company's name all along. I asked you how to pronounce your name, but I've been saying secure and it's secure. And I never, but I've been typing it all this time and never really thought about how, how it should be said. So I'll get it right from here on in. So uh, tell us about uh, secure and, and, uh, and sort of, I mean, it's in diabetes, which is uh, an enormously important space. It's an enormously competitive space. What does Secure have that, uh, that will help it compete in this space and to, to really stand out?
3: Sure. So it's a little bit of an interesting story. Secure had been a, a development company for over a decade, um, developing a diabetes insulin delivery device of its own. Um it was a really terrific device, you know. But as as you know, if you know, this space is very difficult to develop these types of products in. And uh, but they were working hard at it. But in 2018, uh when J and J decided to divest their med device diabetes business, Mm -hmm. um they had they had three primary businesses. One was Life Scan, which ultimately sold to a private equity firm. They had a type one pump business that they sort of transitioned to Medtronic. And then they had this Simplicity product uh, that was still sort of in a startup mode within J&J and and was a bit of an orphan. And and because we were sort of a development company, it was a really nice fit. And so we acquired the technology from J&J in 18. And when I joined the company in 19, uh, it was just clear to me that that this product had already been 510 k approved, manufacturing had already been prepared. Reimbursement work had been done. Marketing work had been done. It was really sitting on the launch pad. and really just needed, you know, sort of an injection of cash and, and commercial leadership uh, to get it off and off and running. And so we, we really shifted the company into a commercial stage uh, organization with a great focus on this product secure simplicity.
0: So how does it fit into the, uh, the treatment continuum for, for patients? What, what type of uh, person with diabetes is this used by and, and, and how is it used?
3: Sure. So as you know, there's, there's type one diabetes and type two diabetes mm-hmm. uh, in the type one space, about a third people use a, uh, an insulin pump. Um, that can be in different formats, but but they have a, a pump deliver their insulin. And then two thirds of type one patients use a, a pen, an insulin pen or a syringe to inject their insulin. Mm-hmm. In the type two space, it's less than 5% that are on pumps and 95% use pens and syringes. Our product is essentially a wearable pen. That's the easiest way to think about it. Mm. So for for particularly type 2 patients um, injecting yourself three times a day of which there's over 2 million people in the US alone that have to have to give themselves multiple daily injections so for those two million people to to carry their insulin with them to remember to inject to do it in a sanitary place uh, is a is a huge challenge so compliance is a huge challenge and two a lot of people don't want to inject outside of the home. They don't want to want someone to watch them pull out a syringe and a vial and shoot themselves up. You know, it's just, it's, it's not something that people feel comfortable doing. And so Mm. there's all these, so life kind of gets in the way for people taking their insulin. Well, unfortunately missing insulin doses is what really ravages your microvascularization, in your body. It's what really is harmful to your health. And so this is why people end up with stroke or heart disease, blindness, amputation. It's because they're not taking their insulin when they're supposed to. Hmm. Um, so it's a, it's sort of a very simple, obvious problem, but one that nobody's been able to solve. Because how do you solve for having to remember to take your insulin? Having to you know be sure leave a dinner table and go take it when you're supposed to. And so our product is a really small little device. It's just about two inches long and about three or four quarters thick. So it's very, very small and you just wear it on your skin uh, with a little adhesive. So it's just like a little, like a little patch. Mm -hmm. And when you need to take your insulin, it has two little buttons on it and you just push the buttons. And every time you push the buttons, you deliver insulin to your body. Hmm. And, and so the device is worn for three days. The patient fills it with whatever insulin they're using today. Um, they don't change what type of insulin they're using. They don't change how much insulin they're using. They just put it inside of this little device. And when you wear the device, you, you really can't feel it on your body. You can't see it. Uh, you can swim, shower, workout. Uh, you know, when you sleep with it, you can't feel it when you roll over at, at, in bed at night. Uh, it's, it's worn on your abdomen. So it's it's almost invisible. But now you have your insulin with you 24 hours a day, all the time, and so when you need insulin, you can just reach down and click, 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 and you've delivered your insulin.
0: So after those three days, are you removing the entire device or merely uh, removing the contents and putting new contents in?
3: Yep, you just you pull the patch off, you discard it, you reload a new one, you apply it again to your abdomen, and you're off and running.
0: And how is it piercing or? or- how is it delivering the insulin into the body? How is it piercing the skin? I guess is my sure. question. So
3: there's there's a little applicator that's used that, that applies the patch. Um, it's really not painful. It does have a small needle in it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a very, you know, very, very small needle. So when you, when you apply the patch, it uses a needle to puncture the skin and it leaves a little cannula behind. So you actually remove the needle and it's left with this really little micro cannula, and the insulin is delivered through that little micro cannula uh, beneath the skin.
0: Interesting. And is there how is the how does a patient know how many times to push that button?
3: Sure. So each click of the button is two units of insulin. Mm-hmm. So a, a patient would be prescribed by their physician how much insulin they should take at each meal. Okay. And then and then oftentimes patients adjust if they have a, a snack they may take less insulin. If they have a large meal, they're going to take more insulin and and type two uh, folks have learned to sort of understand how much insulin they need to take. So with each click being two units, you know, three clicks would be two, four, six. I've just delivered myself six units of insulin. It's, I don't feel anything. It's painless. It's harmless. And that insulin is just delivered through that really small little tube
0: is there a need or an effort afoot at, at secure to develop some sort of uh, monitor to, to, to perhaps even determine how much, maybe more precisely how much insulin is required by the body?
3: Yeah. So, so the device is very precise to mm-hmm. begin with. So when you, when you do a two unit click, you're getting exactly two units of insulin, you know, in the, in the type two space, um, people generally have a fairly programmatic insulin regimen, meaning maybe it's 10 units at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for example, right? So it's a fairly straightforward, typically a fairly straightforward insulin regimen. And maybe it gets adjusted down to eight or up to 12 or down Mm -hmm. to six. Um, So we think in the type two space, you know, the device as it is, is really well-designed in the type one space. Um, those individuals tend to be uh, more specific with their insulin. Today, there's some terrific technology with continuous glucose monitoring. There's a, some amazing artificial intelligence that sort of takes information from your glucose monitor and takes information from your insulin delivery device, mm-hmm. it sort of has those two combine and talk to each other. And so, we are going to add uh, a kind of connectivity to the simplicity that uh, will be an option for patients that do want to have that more sophisticated uh, interaction with a, with an algorithm or, uh, you know, with a continuous glucose monitor.
0: Interesting. Well, you raised uh, some money recently that should help toward uh, help those efforts a bit. Uh, In in I think it was April, you closed on uh, $115 million for a series CF and uh, a lot of great investors in there, including Endeavor vision and tandem diabetes care and others. Uh, talk a bit about that fundraising. Uh, were you looking for that amount? Were you looking for more? Were you looking for less? What was the What was the process like?
3: We we actually went out to market uh, to raise about fifty million, and and that's sort of what we felt like we needed. Wow. Uh, and to be honest, uh, it, somewhat unexpected, you know, we uh, we got tremendous interest from so many different parties, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, we did a pilot. In the back half of last year, mm-hmm. so in the back half of last year, we we had about a hundred patients on the product that were using it, sort of in a real world setting, and the feedback we were getting was just incredible in terms of you know how that convenience led to compliance, led to a clinical impact, and the patients could see that with a, with very significant drops in their A1C, which is a marker for glucose in your in your blood, and so it was really you know, sort of the real world experience with the product that really got investors excited about it. And so, as we were going through the fundraising process, we we were challenged to say, "Well, hey, if we could raise more money, what could we do? And could we go faster? Could we scale the manufacturing faster?" And and the answer was yes. And so we we ultimately uh, actually had to turn people away. We actually cut turned it off at 115 million. Wow. Um, we're really fortunate with some of the with the quality of the investors that uh, you mentioned that that have come into the round. So uh, a really exciting accomplishment uh, for the organization.
0: And of course, Tandem sticks out as a as an intriguing corporate investor. Uh, what do we see? What, what should we look into or see into that investment? Other than just a commitment of dollars, is there some sort of partnership or other other attachments going forward?
3: Yeah, no, from a sort of from a legal standpoint, no no attachments going forward Mm that they are they're purely an investor. Uh, Having said that, uh, you know, we we've really been getting to know Tandem as a company. And as you know, they've uh, they're just the growth player right now in the type one pump space with Mm -hmm. their IQ and just, you know, market leading technology right now in the type one space. And they they really don't do a whole lot in the type two space, which is our primary focus. And so, you know, as we sort of march forward, we're learning from them about the type one space. They're learning from us about the type two space. Uh, you know, where that leads, I think time will tell. But um, but but for now, it's it's a really just good partnership to to learn from each other's experiences.
0: Terrific. And, and final question: As we were talking before uh, before I started recording. Uh, you're moving headquarters from from Boston to to South Carolina. Manufacturing going down there. Tell us a bit about your your growth going forward.
3: Yeah, sure. So you know, this is a this is the device that you need to manufacture uh, not in the thousands or hundreds of thousands, but but in the millions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a cornerstone of our success. And so we have uh, identified a partner in South Carolina. That will, that will help us deliver on that promise and deliver millions of units. Um, there's been significant investment in high-speed automated, manufacturing equipment. Uh, in fact, our manufacturing line fills up almost 40,000 square feet of clean room space. I mean, wow. It's one of the largest fully high-speed automated manufacturing lines anybody's ever seen. I mean, it's really, really remarkable.
0: No, I'm sorry. You'll be, you'll be manufacturing these yourselves or are you working with an outside company?
3: we 're working with a uh, uh, an outside contract manufacturer
0: okay okay great sorry right. to interrupt mm-hmm.
3: And so that's that's busy and underway uh, as we speak as we're so we're scaling that manufacturing now and then we're building out the sales team so we've got uh, you know a half a dozen people in our selling organization at the moment um, and we'll be scaling that to probably you know 20 30 40 over the next 18 to 24 months.
0: And how is this different drawing from your experience at, at Kyfon and of course, all the stops you've had since, but you're, you're, you're in, with Kyphon, you're selling directly to uh, to the surgeons who, are, who I imagine who were performing the procedure. This is a bit of a different sell. What's the difference and what are the challenges in, in sort of building up the sales team? What are you looking to create?
3: So our, our call point, so to speak, is is endocrinologists as mm-hmm. well as primary care physicians that prescribe insulin. And and those tend to be fairly concentrated. So if you look at all the endocrinologists out there, all the PCPs and all those that prescribe insulin, it's it ends up being about about 10,000 physicians that really prescribe the majority of that. So uh, you know so we'll probably go ahead and build a sales force of you know probably upwards of 50, maybe 100 salespeople that will mm-hmm. call on those physicians. Um, and it's a bit of a pharma sort of med device combination sort of sale. It's, you know, it's not a med device into the operating room, but a med device into a, into a, into a clinic and a practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and really that's to educate and seed the market. Um, but ultimately this will be, this will be marketed almost like a consumer good. You know where you'll you'll hear radio ads and television ads and digital digital marketing, because you know as you and I spoke about earlier, um, you know people with diabetes are motivated. They're motivated to find solutions uh, to help to help them live a healthier life. And so when they hear about this technology, it's not so complicated, right? It's mm-hmm. literally a wearable pen. And so when they hear about it, they become very motivated to want to uh, find out more, learn more, understand if they're a candidate for it. And and really we'll seek it out. Um, and so we'll we'll have a, a very significant uh direct to patient uh, marketing program as we scale the manufacturing and, and can support that.
0: I was gonna ask that. Does, I'm assuming you'll be moving into social media channels and and the whole gamut. Absolutely. Yep. Ac- excellent. Well, it's uh it's great to uh to learn how to pronounce Secure's name <laughs> i've been following the story for so long and mispronouncing it in my head but always spell it correctly and uh i appreciate your uh your taking the time to uh to tell your story and uh thanks for being on the podcast
3: hey happy to appreciate uh the time and uh hope your audience enjoys hearing about the product all
0: right chris newmark what's number three on the new newsmakers list
3: Well, number three is
1: that uh, you know NeuroMetrics stock uh, was was heading back down this week. I mean, last week the the news was that the uh, FDA gave them a breakthrough uh, device designation when it came to you know the uh, using uh, their uh, Quell pain relief device to uh, treat fibromyalgia, and this could like potentially like speed up you know some kind of you know regulatory you know approval around this. But yeah, this week, uh, they, uh, you know, they published uh, some study results that it was basically like, you know, like after three months, there was no difference between the active and sham treatments um you know the flip side was that i mean i guess subjects with with higher pain sensitivity yeah there was you know there there was a significantly greater result uh when it came to active treatment um but um still it was kind of like looks like these results were uh, were kind of a mixed bag at this point when it uh seems uh you know the idea of using this you know this quell you know like uh TENS device uh, to, to treat fibromyalgia. It's not, you know, There's the optimism seems to be a bit down among investors. I mean, I mean, they're definitely still trading higher than they were uh, before the announcement last week. But, uh, you know, I mean, they were trading around like, like around a few bucks, uh, you know, until last week, went up over 20. You know, now they're, uh, you know, they're, their stock's trading around about $15 per share. Okay.
0: So it's still way up over where they were
1: some of the investors were kind of like, you know, last week were like, "Yay!" You know, this week they were a bit more like like, "Oh, you know, well, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes." I think we all feel that way, don't we, Chris? You know, yeah, that's probably an exact question. <laughs> we know
0: how you feel, Neurometrics investors for sure. I want want
1: COVID to reduce and I want the smoke to stop appearing outside my window. That's uh, that's, that's
0: a great point. I've talked to a couple of folks from Minnesota who are sharing the same unfortunate story about the smoke in the air. Yes. They, They can't go up to the cabin, Chris. They want to go up to the cabin and they can't go up to the cabin. You get a lot of cabins over there in Minnesota, don't you?
1: Yes. And everybody is just like, I'm heading like, the, you never hear the exact lake. It's always like, I'm going to the, I'm heading up to the cabin by the lake. The lake. <laughs> that's I'm all going you to need the lake. to know.
0: That's all you need to it's know. You have lake 10,000 lakes. Try to find me.
1: That's right. You're not going to find them. They're, they're, <laughs> they're going to be out there drinking a cold
0: one, you know, like. Let's uh, let us move on to number two, <laughs> number two on the New Markers Newsmakers list.
1: Oh, okay. So number two on the list, we had more information out about uh, how this like huge sleep therapies uh, systems recall is gonna affect uh, Phillips uh, you know their CEO during their uh, earnings call this uh, this week was uh, saying you know they're no longer going to be taking orders for the systems um, you know as they as they handle the problem they're uh, still you know looking for uh, you know some kind of uh, authorization from FDA and other regulators uh, for the changes they want to make and you know it, it sounds like you know like the the, uh, the actual effort, to, you know fix this problem could take um it could take 12 months i mean before they're out of the woods with this i mean it's 12 months where you know some a, a number of analysts now are saying this could be a big opportunity for resmed because mm-hmm. i mean um the uh one headline i read was like uh Needham had a note they basically said philips is effectively out of the sleep device market for the next year um you know because because of this recall which involves a uh, sound abatement phone which may um you know, particulate and potentially end up in uh, airway passages. It's pretty, uh, pretty tough. Yeah, we'll we'll follow up
0: with Resmond, I hope, in a couple of weeks. And uh, another company I guess, to think about would be uh, your neighborhood, Inspire Medical, which isn't. They don't have a CPAP machine, but they have an implantable neurostim device that uh, that treats apnea. I'm sure they'll be uh, offering that up as a as an alternative to uh, yeah to breathing in uh, from a machine every night.
1: Yeah, not not all the time they see a recall this huge that could uh, you know potentially really change a market.
0: Excellent. Well, before we get into your uh, your big number one, Chris Newmarker, we're going to uh, bring in sort of a kind of a new feature. We're just trying to talk to have shorter interviews with uh, with newsmakers, and I haven't told Chris about this, so he'll his response will be genuinely spontaneous. Uh, we've talked a bit about uh, ATS and the uh, American Lung Association taking a stance against uh, against Philip Morris. Acquiring Vectora, the medical device company, the uh, the that creates a devi- delivery devices for inhaling medicines. I spoke with Luella Amos. She is a pediatric pulmonologist at the uh, at Children's Wisconsin, and wow. uh, she's also uh, involved with ATS. and We talked about her take and her feeling about the uh, about the acquisition. I had contacted ATS. And uh, they introduced me to Luella Amos as uh, someone who would best represent their position. So uh, let's uh, listen to this, this short interview with Dr. Luella Amos. Well, Dr. Luella Amos, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you so much.
0: It's, uh, it's great to visit with you and to uh, have you provide some some additional, I think, important insights on the uh, the news of Philip Morris attempting to buy a Vectora. Uh, and I'd like our listeners to sort of understand from where you're coming. Talk a bit about your, your clinical specialty and uh, also your work at the American Thoracic Society.
4: So I am a pediatric pulmonologist. At Children's Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I have been staff here for over 10 years, and my interest in this topic um, has spawned out of the 2019 vaping epidemic in pediatrics and the EVALI epidemic, the lung injury due to the vaping um, and e-cigarette use. So, um, so that has been a pretty passionate topic for me, just because I feel like we are well behind um, the eight ball when it comes to. The nicotine addiction in our youth.
0: Talk a bit about that. Well, a little bit of background on, on what you're facing in that regard, in, in terms of that epidemic. It's not something we've talked about a lot on, the, on this podcast. We deal with more with the medical devices, but this is obviously a different kind of health crisis. So, what are you seeing on that front? So,
4: these the e-cigarette devices are um, a very sleek and discreet way for our children to get their nicotine buzz. And um, they entered the markets in 2006, 2007, and then became very popular in the 2012, 13, 14 era. And then um, in 2018, 2019, we saw a significant rise in the use in, um, in, in adolescents. And then of course they discovered other ways to use it, um, which harmed the lungs and resulted in the, the lung injury epidemic that we saw in the summer of 2019 before the pandemic.
0: So you're coming at this as a as a clinician you haven't worked with medical device companies before or have you do you have a background I, there?
4: I have not no um, We just are familiar with the medical devices that are used for inhalers, you know the um, the technology used to deliver medications to our patients with lung disease and with with asthma um, and um, and so that is pretty much my extent of my experience with that um, but then we also have seen, the harm caused by the, um, I guess the, nicot- the 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 delivery systems for nicotine um, used in our youth.
0: Take me back to where you heard the news that that Philip Morris was entertaining an option to acquire Victora, a, a respiratory device company. Uh, did it? Did, what was your initial feeling? Were you surprised about
4: about that? Absolutely. I mean, so we received information from the American Thoracic Society. I am a member of the American Thoracic Society. I've been a member for a while now, and I have participated in certain committees, especially in the, the younger members. I'm trying to get them involved in the society. But but yeah, so there was a widespread email sent to us just informing us of this, um, this acquisition of Vectura. Um, and so it was just kind of another stab in the heart a little bit. You know, we're just, mm-hmm. I, I was hoping we were making some um, you know some strides in in this nicotine epidemic I would say in, in our youth and then to see this happening just kind of I don't know it, it was just it just feels very unethical everything about the nicotine addiction in our youth I feel is unethical um, there's a significant conflict of interest I feel um, with this acquisition
0: What are some of the specific concerns that you have uh, about what? Could be how how Victoria's technology could be used uh, by a company like Philip Morris.
4: So so broadly speaking, I feel that that Philip Morris right now continues to sell products that harm the lungs. Um, it's essentially producing the poison, and will be profiting from that. And that on the other side could potentially profit from the antidote. Mm-hmm. Are these devices that will be used to deliver medications to the lungs. And so while they continue to be one of the leading manufacturers and sellers of cigarettes and products that you know, develop, deliver nicotine into the lungs, I feel that it is, it, is, it is unethical to also profit from the medications or the delivery devices used to treat those, those illnesses that are caused by, um, by cigarettes, by e-cigarettes by Heat Not Burn, you know, by anything that they are producing um, to try to, you know, promote this Beyond Nicotine campaign.
0: And, and your effort to slow or stop that was to work with ATS on a, a statement essentially saying that talk, I guess, talk a bit about the statement that, that was shared and uh, what do you hope uh, hope comes from speaking out?
4: Essentially, I, I, I am in agreement with our, our statement saying that this acquisition has significant conflict of interest. Um, We are essentially anti tobacco, you know, um, we, you know, we, there's nothing, there's nothing beneficial about tobacco in the lungs. There's nothing beneficial to tobacco in our, you know, for our cardiovascular system, um, nicotine. You can't really argue that there's anything good about it. And so any of these devices that they're producing will not promote health. Um, There's really no proof and there's actually evidence against that. So, mm-hmm. so as long as they're producing these 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 um, products that are harming people, they can't also profit from devices that help them. You know, you it, it can't do both. You gotta. It's um. It's just a. It, it's very. It's an oxymoron.
0: Yeah, no, understood. Uh, and last, I guess is. You're as a clinician, uh, someone who likely would be a potential customer for devices like these. Someone who at least would be charged with uh, with making them, helping to make them available to patients. How would you look toward a device company that had Phillips Morris Philip Morris as an owner or or an investor? Uh, would that factor in your decision to recommend the use of that device?
4: Um, it would be a it would be a conflict of interest. Yeah, absolutely it would potentially affect my ability to be a member of the American dress society. You know, it could affect my credibility as a pulmonologist. Um, so, and, and I want to be a good model for my patients who I'm telling to stay away from these, these devices and any tobacco products.
0: And, and final, final question. I do this a lot. Do you, do you talk to other clinicians about that? Do you feel like your opinion is shared by many? Absolutely. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. Yes. Um, everyone in our office, Will
0: be behind this. Well, it's, it's great to find, uh, to hear directly from you and, uh, appreciate the, the time you took today, Dr. Amos. Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
4: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Well, very interesting thoughts from Dr. Luella Amos. I appreciate her being on the podcast. And, uh, now, Chris Newmarket's it's time for uh, a very big, uh, number one item on the Newmarkers Newsmakers. Bring us in.
1: Yeah. Number one is, uh, we've had, uh, like Hill Rams stock like rocketed up this week um off a Wall Street Journal report that uh Baxter made me in like in the early stages of uh talks to acquire Hillrom um you know there was anonymous sources WSJ citing people familiar with the uh matter um but a really really intriguing possibility here and you know the uh you know markets uh were you know sending up uh Hillrom uh, stock a lot this week uh because of it um you know, we're talking on Friday and, you know, I haven't had a chance to hear Hill Rom's earnings call, but I know yesterday we had, you know, Baxter was was doing their earnings call and the analyst was like, you know, telling, you know, you know, Jose Almeida, you know, that of course he knew he couldn't like, you know, talk about what's going on with speculation, but, you know, like he asked him to share some thoughts about, you know, what they're looking for in M&A. And he, you know, kind of like, Kind of laid out that they were, uh, you know, looking for something that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, could help them with connected health that could uh, be a good, good strategic fit. And uh, I know that uh, you know, analysts at Needham, you know, were noting that there's kind of like minimal overlap between Hillrom's connected care portfolio and patient monitoring Baxter's hospital care portfolio, so there could, hmm. you know, there could be a fit there. Um, they, they were also saying though they didn't they were kind of a bit skeptical that that Hillrom would you know really uh, you know help Baxter's uh, growth rate, which they say was kind of like similar to Hillrom's. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, very interesting. I mean, we've been talking about this that, I mean, you know, what, what's going to be the next uh, big uh, m deal? And, um, you know, Baxter Hillrom sounds like it's something to at least keep an eye on. It's intriguing.
0: Well, Joe Almeida, of course, was CEO of uh, Covidian when it was acquired by Medtronic. So uh, here he is yeah. potentially changing yeah. the landscape again, except yeah. as the here acquirer this time around. Here you go. So, not afraid to do big deals, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great list. Uh, thanks to our mass device readers for, uh, for giving us the the data we need to identify <laughs> the top stories of the week. And uh, yeah, do check out MassDevice.com and metal yeah. design and outsourcing.com for some That's super right. device coverage. What else do That's we, what right. are the other, what are the other sites people need to visit?
1: Oh, you know, if you want to find out about catheter delivery systems, we got medical tubing and extrusion. We've got a uh, drug delivery business news, which, um, you know, we, we covered a, a big story that uh, our, our, Always amazing. Associate Editor, Sean Hooley wrote with, you know, interviewing Dexcom CEO, Kevin Sayer And uh, and of course, we got our uh, pharma industry sites, uh, drug discovery and development and pharmaceutical processing wor- world. But, you know, definitely for like all things medtech, go to massdevice.com, you know, check out MDO. That's where we do our deeper dives. First, I want to introduce our sponsor,
0: BMP Medical. I had a chance to speak with Ed Kangas. Ed is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP. Ed, tell us a bit about
5: BMP. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, BMP Medical is a third generation family-owned business with 43 years of experience in the plastics manufacturing industry supporting original equipment manufacturers. Uh, we're ISO 13485. we're FDA registered and MedCred accredited. Our customers look to us to provide production support and in plastics injection molding, injection blow molding, two-shot molding and insert molding. The markets we support are primarily the medical device diagnostics and life science markets. Our job at BMP Medical is to take our customers' concepts to production and finally to a finished good state. Our goals are to deliver programs that help accelerate their go-to-market success. Over the past year, we've had the privilege of partnering with the company to support the manufacturing of a sample collection device to aid in identifying COVID-19. We're incredibly proud that the solutions we provide on a day-to-day basis can help improve patient lives. Well, Sean Salmon,
0: welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, the di- diabetes business at Medtronic has been I think one of the more actives on the acquisition front and I want to uh, understand sort of how those different pieces fit into the larger puzzle. But before we go there, I'd love to just learn a little bit how you found your way into uh, into the medtech industry. You've been
6: you've been here for quite a while. Yeah, it's um more than 30 years I think now. I kind of lose count, but and, yeah, it was really it was <laughs> By accident, like, like literally by accident, I was, uh, way back in college, I was a, I was trying to be an athlete in college and I wound up getting injured and wound up on, on the table. Getting oh my. my ankle operated on reconstructed. And, uh, I just got really fascinated with the whole space of, of healthcare. And, you know, I guess I'm still I maintain my pre-med status even now, but I was going down that track uh-huh. until working in a academic medical environment in Boston. Um, that's where I'd gone to school, and I just was sort of horrified by what that side of medicine was really like, but got fascinated by technology and um, didn't wind up going to medical school. I went up to becoming a clinical specialist in the field and put my way through the sales ranks and into marketing jobs. Uh, started out with the pioneering blue and angioplastic company right back in the day, a company called USCI. USCIs, part of Sarah Bard. Then I worked... Um, to try to convince them to get into different areas of medicine, including this novel idea of putting a piece of metal into the coronary artery to hold it open when you tear it. Kind of performative when I was working in the hospital side of things. I spent too many times writing on the chest of a patient down to the OR when the bloom would tear the artery and you need to repair it. Wow! But I couldn't convince the team at the time that that was a good idea. So I wound up going to uh, Johnson Johnson interventional systems And there's a long saga from there, but really a kind of a storied history of just this remarkable progress in the area of minimally invasive technology to treat coronary conditions, which I had a personal connection to. My grandfather died of the disease. My grandmother had it. So yeah, like like a lot of people, you find find your way in there. Maybe 10 years into that career, I decided I probably should know something about business. (laughs) Went off and learned that and... I uh, did a startup company, worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a little while too, and, and advertised. So I learned a lot about all, a whole bunch of this, disease conditions, but sort of the background of all the risk factors, hypertension, diabetes is one of the products, areas mm. i worked in, dyslipidemia. But I've spent the last 17 years in electronic, mostly on the cardiovascular side, which I still do some of that. And uh, of course, running the diabetes business now. So it's it's been just a remarkable, rewarding career, and I just uh, I just get excited going to work every day. There's something more that we can do.
0: That's great. Can't ask for much more than that. I wasn't going to bring up our college connection, but you you you, you mentioned college. I went to BU. I think we love overlap a year or two. What sport were you playing
6: there? Where you got injured? Well, I I was trying to be a track athlete. But ah, the truth of the matter is I was not good at any of my best events. To try <laughs> to make me a decathlete. I think I kind of peaked in high school and it was over from
0: there. But that's all right. Not a lot of money in track, I guess, either. So that's true. You didn't that miss out on a Lucrative BU hockey career, but uh, or yeah. pro hockey career. But let's. Uh, that's uh, that's a great uh, summation. And it's interesting that uh, you and I, I think it's it's frequent in, in medical devices where you see folks enter the clinical side first and then decide to to pivot. Do Do you feel you're tapping into some of the same energy that you you were tapping into when you're in a hospital? Treating patients—is there that same sort of caring for for patients and what in what you do now?
6: No, I think there's really no replacement for having that connection to what mm-hmm. the real world's about, and you know, just seeing the the bad things that can happen and the wonderful things that can happen in healthcare. I think just keep you grounded about what matters. You know, this I'll remember forever when you see like those family members wringing their hands in fear when their their levels on the table getting treated and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a really, really rewarding situation where they all relax and the patient comes through and does really well. And the opposite is true also. You know, if something bad happens, I have complications there. But it personalizes a lot of what that's about. So as you're driving through all of the motivating reasons why you want to get a team aligned to do something in MedTech, I think having that, that real kind of connection to what matters and just keeping yourself grounded Every day. Yeah, the diabetes business, it's a little different because hopefully if we're doing our job right, they're never going to get there. We don't want Uh them at the end of those cardiovascular complications that, you know, I spent most of my career being involved with. But I think it's in a similar way, just having that understanding and empathy for what somebody living with this condition has to go to. It's just different than all the stuff you learn in business school.
0: Right. (laughs) Absolutely. But but I do think that the the diabetes community perhaps is the one that is most closely connected to medtech, and that in that the patients there are so active in their care; they're such strong advocates. Literally, you know, track clinical trials. They want to know when products are coming out. It's obviously essential to them in, in every definition of the term. What is it like for you leading this group, knowing that you're you're serving such a a passionate and an invested population.
6: Well, you know, Tom, I think that that's absolutely motivating to me to know that you've got this community that's so involved, so engaged, and, you know, really rooting for success all the way around. And they have high standards and mm-hmm. they're pushing the boundaries for all of the things that are in the way of, of getting to those technologies. But I'd say that that's sort of, that's a vocal group and an important group, typically in the type one space. And you find a complete, apathetic population in type 2 where mm. you, know, you kind of go through this cascade of failures before you get to insulin you're at the end of the line by then a lot of the healthcare practitioners and the patients themselves have sort of given up hope that they can change their fate and there's just a lot of just awareness issues and you know, even insulin itself is that kind of end of the line drug is beautiful like a like a failure for everyone and the doctor didn't get the patient convinced they made bad choices. And it's really, that's a mischaracterization too, because you can do so much better by having that insulin therapy earlier in the course of the disease, you know, type two. So it's really, it's all over the place. And there's, I think what I've learned about diabetes is that it's a very personal disease and a very different experience for everybody who lives with it, no matter what type you have, whether it's gestational, or if you've got, you know, type one or type two, there's just very, very different experiences. And when we think about innovation, for services or products, we have to be really clear about, you know, what we're doing for whom in that, in that pursuit. So mm-hmm. it's uh, I think it's easy to characterize a market like that as, you know, one thing or another thing, but it's a lot of things, which makes it uh, both interesting and, and difficult.
0: Great point. So let's talk about how that, uh, that population and, and your understanding of that population, how that has sort of informed your strategy and Medtronic strategy yeah. for for diabetes, uh, as I mentioned at the, up at the top, you've made some some strategic acquisitions in recent years, Neutrino and Clue. Let's, let's kind of walk through a few of the acquisitions and how they fit into your portfolio. Let's take a quick break from this conversation with Sean Salman to visit again with our episode sponsor, BMP Medical. I'm here with Ed Kangas. Ed, again, is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP. Ed, I understand BMP is working out of a new facility. Tell me
5: about it. Sure, Tom. In 2019, we moved into a newly renovated 80,000 square foot manufacturing facility with an additional 20,000 square feet of expansion space in support of our growth and the growth of our partners. We support our OEM partners from product design and development, R&D tooling, mold design and development, injection molding and injection blow molding production, and clean room assembly and packaging. Currently, all our manufacturing capabilities reside in a Class A clean room. We also offer Class 7 and Class 8 assembly and packaging services. We are consistently investing capital and improving our facilities and resources to support our clients' growing critical applications. Some recent examples are ongoing implementation programs of IQMS, Medicare accreditation, and support of risk mitigation for our customers, continuous 6 sigma training, and continued equipment and technology upgrades. That's great, Ed. And finally, how does BMP work with its medical device clients? We're incredibly proud to be manufacturing medical components and devices that matter. Trust, relationships, and a commitment to successful outcomes are what we strive for at BMP Medical. We're proud of our history, family driven culture, and our experienced, stable workforce. You'll always experience one on one personal touch when interacting with BMP Medical. Whether you are reviewing a quote, discussing validation protocols with our quality team, or reviewing mold design with our engineering team, you'll always experience a friendly, knowledgeable, and highly dedicated team. We work endlessly to provide optimal value, and the size of our company allows us to be agile to your evolving requirements. Whether you have a new device concept, an approved design, or molds to be transferred, we'll work with your team to provide the best and most efficient solutions possible.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sponsoring this episode. For more information about BMP Medical, go to bmpmedical.com. And now let's get back into this interview with Sean Salman of Medtronic. You've made some some strategic acquisitions in recent years, Neutrino and Clue. Let's let's kind of walk through a few of the acquisitions and how they fit into your portfolio.
6: Yeah, look, I always think about strategy as sort of answering that question of what are you providing to who? And it, it causes you to, to really focus on what is it that you want to, what value proposition you offer. You know, I think we got a little bit astray in our diabetes business. We didn't really organize around. Who are we trying to serve? And it was really that intensively managed patients, the ones that are using both background or basal insulin, as well as um, mealtime insulin. And you know, we used to sort of decide where it is that a patient should go in their journey to get the best outcome. We had one solution, it's this pump solution. And you know, in the United States, which is the most heavily penetrated market for type one. That's probably what 30, 35% of the patients actually get to this sophisticated automated insulin delivery mm-hmm. that we've, you know, we've been at for, for multiple years, multiple decades now, and making it better and better. It's even less common in type 2s, of course. And then when you get outside the United States, maybe it's 10% of the population. Wow. So the vast majority of people using background and mealtime insulin are doing what they call multi, multiple daily injections. Your ability to control your blood sugar on multiple daily injections is thwarted by a lot of things. What you eat, uh, how, what activity you do, how you respond to both the food you eat, the insulin you take, all kinds of different stressors in your system. You know, things from like puberty to just mental stress. The fact that we were only offering one solution to get people to a place where their blood sugar is in a really healthy range, not too high, not too low has both everyday implications, your mood, how you're going to be interacting with people around you just by having excursions of blood sugar, high or low. And then, of course, it gets more dangerous than that. You could wind up in an emergency room in a coma from having too low a blood sugar. You have a car crash. You have a a diabetic ketoacidosis and then we go into a coma from high blood blood sugar. And then over time, of course, you're running really high blood sugars for a long time of what type of diabetes you have. You're damaging your, your small vessels. It can affect your vision, your kidney mm-hmm. health, and your cardiovascular health over time. So it's um, you know, it's really something you gotta be in that kind of normal range of blood sugar. So I, I say all that just as kind of pretext for what decisions we want to make. We want to focus on that right patient, who was using the using intensive you know, management, but we want to do it in a way that we can get them great outcomes, keep that blood sugar in great control but reduce and reduce and reduce all of the kind of decisions they have to make, the mental, physical, emotional burdens that are placed on them by this disease, by simplifying things. So the first one we wanted to do was really expand our paradigm that you should be able to choose how you want to get your insulin. I talked about how diabetes is a personal disease, right? Some people Mm -hmm. really, really don't want anyone to know they have diabetes type. So wearing a big clunky pump on them is not something they want the world to see. So that discretion is important. Or you could live in a country somewhere where you just don't have the the healthcare resources to allocate money to such a good and sophisticated solution You want to do something simpler. So we we purchased a company called Companion Medical, um, which is the first and only FDA clear smart insulin pen. That's a pen and it's an app system. And what it does is allows us to collect the information from our continuous glucose monitor, anyone, frankly, or blood glucose that you use from the finger stick, and then correlate that with how much insulin do you have, how many calories have you eaten, the carbohydrates have you eaten, and we can give information to a patient that helps them get to better, healthier blood sugar range, but at a lower kind of um, technological hurdle, Mm -hmm. at a lower entry point for cost, and without adding a whole bunch of new effort or difficulty. So, you know, right now that that's important because we've already seen people whose time that they spend in normal blood sugar range, just by having this information on their phone, where they can see how much insulin do I have. I have a calculator that when I eat something, you put in how many grams, you know how much insulin's there, and it tells you how much insulin you need to take that meal. You make fewer sure mistakes, so that time in the normal blood sugar range gets a lot better um, by by about five points, which is. That's, that's a, a really big improvement in, in the world. The other two acquisitions we've made, one was called Neutrino and one was called Clue. The first one, Neutrino, is an, it's a machine learning platform, first and foremost. And it also contains the world's largest food database. So one of the problems, if you have to put into your calculator, you know, how many grams of carbohydrates you have, it's really, really hard to guess. Try that in a restaurant. It's even harder still. Sure. Right. So. We can, we have this really good content of what's in food. And it's not just carbohydrates and how much fat or how much protein is in that can also affect that. That's really, you know, at the surface level, you say, okay, great. You've got this really accurate way to get information about carbs, but that's adding a lot to ask somebody to go and log all that food. What we also can do is using a bunch of passive and actively collected data, we can tell that you're a creature habit. Tom, you probably eat about the same thing every day for lunch at about the same time, right? Especially during the pandemic, but. (laughs) Maybe, no comment. So you think about, okay, well, that's interesting. Now what do you do with that? Well, your body's pretty smart. Your pancreas is really smart. When you're about to sit down to lunch, you're thinking about eating lunch. You're already starting to take your blood sugar lower. Your pancreas does this all by itself. And we can do the same thing. We can use machine learning to predict your behaviors. We know you're likely to be eating lunch. We can start to take your background insulin to a place where your blood sugar is going lower. And then when you're eating, you could tell us what you're eating and probably in big, big spots, a kind of usual meal, a little more than I normally do, or very, very prescriptive. that I'm having this baked potato and you know, some salmon or whatever it is, you put the whole meal content in there. So that was this neutrino acquisition that allows us to kind of know what's in food and then be able to track when you're about to do something. But what was really important is to know when somebody's eating something. And we bought this, this company called Clue, uh, came out of the Stanford group where by gesturing on a wearable, you know that somebody's eating or drinking with like 99.9% accuracy. So super accurate. Wow. And why that's important is if I know Tom's about to sit and eat something and, uh, I could start to take his background insulin down. If I'm using an automated system or, you know, you're supposed to announce your meal take a bolus of insulin beforehand, and then correct it if you need to because you've got it wrong. Well, you think about that burden, that's hundreds of decisions that someone makes every day that we can really automate. We can know you're about to eat. We can remind you to take that insulin if you haven't done or deliver because we can detect that you're eating. And we know where your blood sugar is headed and we can do all kinds of things in that, in that realm. So it's really a lot of platform technology that we're going to put into both pen and pump solutions that simplify all that complicated stuff I just talked about. So you really have to think about it. It's sort of autopilot, which is really, you know, the kind of Holy grail for this is to have this closed loop. But if you, if you aren't interested or can't afford to go to the full automated insulin delivery system, we can still remind you to take your insulin at the right time Uh and drive your health outcomes even higher. We did one small study where we got about the same amount of benefit. We measured something called A1C, which is like a summary report card at the end of the quarter, you know, tells you how well did you do at managing your blood sugar? And with just reminding people the bolus, we get about the same improvement as we did by automating that insulin with a pump to begin with. So really a big health improvement. And, you know, this, this kind of uh, leadership on that next wave of things, we've really pioneered a lot of things in this business. Uh, continuous glucose monitor were invented here. Uh, really the perfection of that insulin delivery in an automated way was done here. And I think this is another, the next level where we just take it to just more and more anticipation understanding what's what's uh, there and taking care of it in the background and really, it in a way that's not obtrusive that uh, really gets people to, to live their life the way they want to and kind of forget about their numbers and their diabetes all as much as they possibly can.
0: Can't imagine how exhausting that that level of management must be. As you said, making hundreds of decisions a day uh, that uh, are literally critical decisions. How, how difficult has it been to integrate all those those different technologies into your 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 business? Did they come with employees and cultures that you had to, or, or were you just buying the, the devices themselves and fitting them into what you had? No, like
6: you when you buy companies, you don't ever buy people. You have to earn that. Yeah, so there's a, <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, you, you buy technology, you buy patents. And then, you know, the integrations, I'm glad you asked about that because it's really important that you weed that into a fabric that keeps what's special about what you bring into the company. But you layer it in the context of bigger strategy that you're trying to, to, to go forward with. And I've had a lot of experience in a number of different acquisitions over the years. and I think what always works well is when you're just upfront about what role are you playing and what, what does good look like? And, how do you fit into the big picture and just you know, constantly remind everybody about how that, that all works, but you don't go in and just sort of, you know, just take the products and leave the people behind the mm-hmm. need. So I'd say, you know, they've been very, very seamless, um, bringing all these acquisitions in because I think people see the vision of what we're trying to do. We talked about the activated community. Everybody knows that this meal handling thing is like the third rail of diabetes. It's, mm-hmm. it's so difficult. It's such a, such a stress point for people. So when we put this vision together and what, how, how these uh, components fit into it. It's very motivating. People really see it right away and say, this is, this is something I want to be involved in. So it's been, it's been really fun.
0: Do you put more effort into communicating with your patient community than perhaps other businesses do?
6: Well, you know, it's, it's a good question. I mean, the other businesses I work in, part of Ambassador's side, a lot of them are, you know, the patients asleep on the table you mm-hmm. <laughs> until he's talking to that <laughs> patient right but here you know it's it's a lifelong relationship that you're hoping to build where you you go through this devastating period where somebody is newly diagnosed or your child is newly diagnosed or you've you've had a cardiac event in the type two world and find out that you have this, this disease you need to manage and you really want to try to get people through those areas of fear and get them to be successful in managing this disease that can feel very random you, know, you could eat the same thing two days in a row and a totally different reaction to that food. And it's just frustrating, right? So we try to get people onboarded in a very personalized way, get them on the technology, support them through their whole journey um, to better and better health. And yeah, that takes a, a constant amount of communication with them directly through people they trust too. There's a lot of very vocal people in the community who are going to make a mistake. They're going to amplify that. You do something that's great for a patient and amplify that too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, we, we are in the world of trust. Somebody that trusts you with their disease, trust you that you've got something that's going to help them, trust you that you're going to get them through the friction points, the successes that they're, they're seeking. And it could be simple things like even working through insurance problems that may, may pop up in a given country. And yeah, you know, we really, we call that in totality, the, the, the experience that we're trying to really make better. Some of that's product related, some of it's not product related, and really the two core parts of our strategy are to drive innovation in products and services that are just at that better and better experience to make their hopefully their disease fade into the background as much as it possibly can.
0: Be, that, that's a great great objective. Let's let's talk a bit about your your automated insulin delivery system, the, the MiniMed 780G. I know you're, you've released it in, in Europe. There's been a slowdown at the FDA. Give us an update on on that.
6: Sure. Now, we have part of it in the US already. We have mm-hmm. something called the 770G, which is the same hardware platform. And what that does is it, it adds a lot of the connectivity features that were not there in the prior generations of product, uh, specifically that you can now see your insulin data and your CPM data on your phone, and you can share that information with another caregiver. We can also upload the reports Automatically in the background to your healthcare provider, so you don't have to hook up to a computer and download stuff on your office visit. So it really makes that workflow a lot better. And of course, it's been helpful to have an automation of uploading in the middle of this COVID environment where nobody wants to have unnecessary healthcare exposures. So it really helped telemedicine. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, our age indication goes down to, to the youngest for a pump, all the way down to age two, all the way through. You know, the full life cycle patient but that same hardware platform and that same ability with connectivity allows us to upgrade the algorithm which is 780 and the difference between 770 and 780 is primarily well two things really it's that you can set your normal blood glucose target lower than any other device in the market including our 770 we can set it at, at 100 which is you know that's what you and i have the normal blood sugar as a, as a target value and uh, you could do that without risking putting people in low blood sugar. So that's really a big deal. People want to have a lower target. They want to be able to have as, as good a uh, blood sugar control as they possibly can. The other thing it does is it, it starts to get toward that meal automation I was talking about, where if your blood sugar is going up, you know, we can always, every five minutes, we're in the background adjusting how much insulin you've got. But when you eat, we can automatically pull this if you haven't corrected enough for example, that pre-bowl is soon enough where you haven't given enough insulin, we see the blood sugar going up, it automatically corrects that. Mm -hmm. It does that without having to tell you anything. It just does it in the background. It can do that every five minutes. So we see the trend of where you're going and we know where it's, the algorithm knows what's going to happen and it automatically does that. So it's very forgiving in that way. And Now the the kind of report card you get on that is how well did you do keeping that patient in range? And, you know, we're at 80% both in the Clinical trial now, we just had a publication of our post market experience. That's really remarkable to be in range that often. That's even before we get to the automation and meal handling. So we think we're getting closer and closer to that kind of nirvana closing the loop. And, uh, you know, 780 has just been phenomenal in Europe. It's, it's really, really done exceptionally well. It's, you know, I, I get to be in these Facebook groups and you get to see people who post their phone shot their screenshot about their time and range and their, that's great. 90%, 100%. And it's just life changing. It really is. You see these people have been, they've been living the disease for 30 years and they've never had such good control. And not only that, it's been so easy. They don't have to do anything to do that. It's just taking care of it in the background. And now it's, it is truly remarkable how these devices can help. People just feel successful in managing their, their chronic disease.
0: So, what is it you need from the FDA to, to release it in, in the US?
6: Oh, well, we filed it with the FDA. So, we're just waiting for it. Okay. Honestly, we just, the FDA has been crushed. This particular division, I OHT7, so the particular flavor of FDA, yeah. has had the dual purpose of COVID diagnostics on top of the diabetes technology. So, the, the entire industry has really been in waiting mode because the obvious priorities with COVID. So the, the medical reviewers, in particular, who are you know pouring through the, the clinical data that backs up the um, the device we've already submitted, that's really the constraint. So we're just waiting for that to come through.
0: One of the more intriguing things about your business, I thought, was the the, the partnership with Blackstone, the private equity group coming yeah. in. Uh, hadn't really seen something like that before. Therefore, wasn't quite sure what to read into it. You know. Is this the this this signal? Is a, a buyout happening? Is there a spin out? Talk to, yeah. to, to, talk to me about that relationship. What is it and, and what will it provide for Medtronic?
6: Yeah, you know, Medtronic has got this embarrassment of riches issue. Right? So I, in addition to the diabetes, I oversee the this cardiovascular portfolio. And we have so many credible ideas that we can invest in. We can do anything, but we can't do everything. hmm so how do you how do you pick the right things to invest in across your enterprise um, and, and make sure that you're making the best use of your capital? How do you allocate that from your P&L, from your balance sheet, or in this case, you know, through Blackstone's money? And Blackstone's partnership with us is helping us to while we're working on driving some more near term programs with our, our P&L dollars, and we use our balance sheet. We just talked about three things we did with the balance sheet to add capabilities uh, to build technologies out. Um, Blackstone's something in the middle where you're using your same team, their money on riskier projects that are a little bit longer term. So uh-huh. what it means for us is we can we can kind of drive near term projects and really disruptive things that you may not have invested in because you have to keep the resources across an enterprise or because the risk profile higher. But you're doing that with your own people. So when you ask me about the integration and acquisition, every one of those slows you down. You have to kind of rebuild everything It's sure. fundamentally broken when you buy it, because you have to fit into all your systems and all the specification of that. So you're not really integrating those technologies. From a kind of financial lens, you think about it: the um, the return you get on the capital you invest in off your P and L, if it's successful, is always the highest. It's the best investment you can make. But you know your tolerance for failure there is pretty low. You want to make sure that you're doing maybe safer bets. When you buy big acquisitions, your return on capital for that is pretty diluted because you're waiting to de-risk everything. You don't want to take big risks. And you tend to spend a lot of capital there. This is something in between where it's de risked because it's your people, but still sufficiently risky, and you're kind of you know, you've built in a lot of things. So that return on capital is somewhere in that middle. It is different. We don't use this a lot in med tech, but it's been no. commonly done in the pharma industry. That's right. Where they're taking like uh, phase three trials, for example, where it's a bigger trial, much bigger bet, and uh, you know, do you want to do you want to make that bet with your own capital or somebody else's? So yeah, it's a financial instrument, but at the same time, it's really a, I think an incredible way of allocating capital that gets the best of both worlds, where you can take bigger risks. Our partner gets really successful. Our incentives are aligned. If we do really well with these programs, they're going to make a great return and uh, we're going to get things that we may not have invested because it's, uh, it's taking a a risk.
0: It's a great point about pharma and that is something we have seen there. But I haven't <laughs> maybe I missed it is Blackstone working on or connected with specific projects or products. I got the sense it was rather open ended.
6: It's very defined. So okay. There are four programs that we have joint steering committee meetings and Okay. You know, they're 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 on the journey with us. They're not just a passive financial investor. They're they're there with us, uh, making these decisions, walking through all the you know, ups and downs of product development. So yeah, it's been a good partnership.
0: Excellent. Uh, well, I guess this kind of relates to my final question: Is Medtronic and diabetes for the long haul?
6: Yeah, look, we've got a really exciting opportunity in front of us. This is a very large uh, market with lots of them that needs rapid growth. Now, I'm not sure we played it right in the last couple of years. I'm honest with you. But I really think we've got the team in place. We've got the right investments from all those flavors of capital allocation discussed. And just a patient population at the end of this that really deserve a better life. It's certainly not for the, for this faint-hearted. This is a very <laughs> difficult market. It moves fast. But it's exciting. And things we can do here are, are really, really rewarding. Too. Excellent.
0: Well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm grateful you took time to, to, to explain all that to us on the podcast. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us.
6: Next, Tom. Appreciate
0: the opportunity. All right, Chris Newmarker. Now is the time for us to be super social. How can folks find you on social media?
1: Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker, and uh, you can find me on Twitter as well at Newmarker. Uh, always, uh, always happy to talk about what's going on in MedTech.
0: Lots going on, and I am on Twitter at MedTech Tom, and you can find me on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L. E M I, please do use those tags when you share this podcast episode and please do share this podcast episode on those social media channels. And uh, please do, what do we want them to do? Chris?
1: Like follow, subscribe.
0: (laughs) That's right. Please do subscribe. That's going to be on the back of our device. Talks weekly. T-shirt. Let get it.
1: it. Like follow, subscribe. Uh, I tell you, man, when we do a Real Device Talks event last year, next year, not last year, next year, (laughs) when we do a Real Device Talks show next year, you watch Watch Out. Me and Tom are going to have t-shirts that say subscribe on the back. That's right. We're going to do it, man. You got to buy the merch.
0: If our CEO, Scott, is listening, Scott, we need a t-shirt cannon. Can we put that in the budget? Chris and I need to fire t-shirts into the audience.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Would that be fun? I That'd can do nice. it. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes, a, a t-shirt cannon is a must. But, uh, but I will please-
1: not wear a costume, Tom. I will not wear a costume.
0: <laughs> We're we'll, we'll negotiate not going to be. Yeah.
1: That's a It's a negotiation. We'll talk about <laughs> Here's your costume bonus, Chris. We <laughs> do a vacation, man. Good please vacation. do subscribe
0: to the podcast on the aforementioned channels. And of course, <laughs> tune in next week. We'll have another great episode. Actually, no, wait a minute. I keep doing that. Next week we will have another great episode. There will be no New Markers Newsmakers because I'll be on vacation, but we do have a couple of great interviews lined up already, uh, including one blast from the past. One of our very first, uh, Golden hits uh, and a new interview that I did with uh, Andy Deswami of uh, of Koya Medical. So uh, you will get go. your you'll get your podcast ne- next week, folks. Don't worry about it, and uh, we'll be back with new markers, newsmakers in two weeks
1: yes so we're going to close out with you playing like a vacation sound peaceful vacation sound ocean waves deer uh, sipping out of a stream bubbling I, stream
0: there'll be no sound because frankly i'm out of time and i don't want to go yeah. looking for sound so so all right let's just let's just make a whooshing sound there
1: we go have a have a peaceful summer everybody take care